0: PTF here. We've got two sponsors for today's show. I want to let you know about starting with our friends at Santa Anita. Their meet is underway. They're running Friday through Sunday. Great information available on Santa Anita. Any day you're playing the Trip Note Pros, our buddies, you can get their notes santa santanita.com. Also, terrific analysis up there. The likes of Jeff Siegel, Michelle Yu, and Frank Scatoni. With his matrices, definitely go and check that out at santaanita.com. You also might want to check out their online Showvivor contest, which is pretty cool. Uh, I believe you can still get into that late. Um, worth checking out on the Santa Anita site as well. And of course, we always plug those Golden Hour bets, most player-friendly bets around. The Pick Four, the Double, connecting the last two races or the last four races at Golden Gate and Santa Anita. Check it out, santaanita.com. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Monday, May 9th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker. Once again, joined by a guest from Planet Texas. Maybe not the one you were expecting. I think he's in the Bahamas or something. He'll be back later in the week. But, you know, some people would say we've upgraded because we are bringing in a man who uh, might be one of the few human beings I can confidently say has been busier than me over the last uh, week to 10 days or so. We're bringing him in now from the mic at Sam Houston from so many different places. He's Nick Tamro. What's
1: going on, buddy? I'm doing well, Pete. Good morning. Good to see you.
0: Have you recovered?
1: Yeah. In fact, my wife and I went and saw Coldplay last night. Fun! Yeah, yeah. They were in town. Delayed concert for five years. They were supposed to play in 2017 and a hurricane stopped them and then a pandemic. So yeah, I'm a (laughs) been a fun, it was a long week, fun week and ready to get rolling again.
0: Well, let's talk about this, okay? Because now, you know, normally you, when I'm out there in the world, just with the, you know, if, if I'm doing a general media appearance, I'm, I'm sticking straight with the, oh, what a story. Anything can happen. Isn't that part of why we play the game? That, that narrative, which, which I truly do believe, you know, this is one of those things where I'm holding two thoughts in my head at the same time. But then there's this other part of me that I haven't been able to speak about publicly yet, but that I'm really looking forward to since we have, you know, our hardcore audience now that, you know, and again, I do believe all those things are true and we'll, we'll get into that aspect of it. But is there any part of you, Nick, that feels like a result like this after, you know, not just weeks, but months of studying a race, you know, we try to give the best information we can out there. And then something like this happens and, and, on any level, I mean, how small of a person am I to feel like on some level this result is an insult to the way I've spent to the way I've chosen to spend my life?
1: Oh, totally. I mean, it was like, it's, you know, take the 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 gambling aside. I mean, look, my personal gambling wise, I was alive um, probably about as well as I had been in a derby in a while. Eight different horses, five figures. You know, good good size scores, uh, modest investments. My picks had gone, pick six had gone well up to that point. Pick five had gone well, singles hit, you know, and then for that to happen. And if you had told me ahead of time, Epicenter and Zandon are going to lock up to three sixteenths pole. And, you know, I, I was like, all right, that's fine. If nobody else has come simplification was worth twice as much. I saw him on the outside. And then I was watching the race. I walked down to the jockey club at Sam Houston and uh, my mom had come out to watch it. And my, my wife and daughter walked down with me from the booth. And so one of the guys that I've known there in the Jockey Club for years was like, who's that? Who's that? You know, and so I saw a horse surging up the inside. And I said, that's the effing 21. And he turns around and he looks at me and he goes, it's a 21. And I said, yep, that was the 21. And they were like, there was a 21? <laughs> and i said yeah there was a 21 so yeah it's it's a very you know I, i don't know if the hollow is not really the right word because from a gambling perspective he was an extremely hard horse to bet right and and we know as as horse players that 80 to 1 was a dramatic underlay he was actually far longer than that in terms of real ability to win that race so it's tough to take, you know? And so what, what it reminds you of, and and of course, I mean, I sent off probably a million snarky, angry texts afterwards and I'm like, I'm never betting the Derby again, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And so, because yeah, you know, we put this race in hyper focus for so many months and, and, you know, leading up to it endlessly, who do you like in a Derby? Who do you like in a Derby? It's like, ask me who I like in the fifth on Friday at Belmont. <laughs> right?
0: Of course, you know, as we've seen from our numbers on YouTube, from the podcast downloads from just the people that we deal with in everyday life, this is the race that captures the national attention. And, and, you know, yeah, to a degree it's to probably, you know, technically too much as opposed to all the other good stuff that we have. But, you know, you can't. I said this to Clay Sanders from Ten Strike Racing several times, back and forth. You can't fight history. You can't. Right. You can't. You can't. You know, have a boxing match w- with a door. Like, there's no changing it. It is. It truly is what it is. The Derby works, right? The Derby is a time when our sport gets out of the little box that we're in the rest of the time. So, you know, you can do. You can do two things. And you know, for many years on the show, we didn't really amp up the Derby coverage that much. I mean, of course, right. we did to some degree, but. Like, now I'm just accepting the fact, like, this is the stuff that works. Give the people what they want. That's the business we're in. Okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm accepting of that. And now I'll, I'll spin one for you. You can tell me what you think of. But I think there's a world in which you can argue that it's actually good for the game to have something completely impossible happen. Because for one thing, we see maybe not like this, but we see, you see all kinds of chaos. Horse racing in so many ways is a laboratory for chaos. And insofar as you can convince people that truly anything can happen in a parimutuel game, it could ultimately redound to our benefit. And what I mean by that reminds me of an interview. I did a book of interviews with professional poker players many moons ago. And uh, one of the pro players in that book told me, that rather than get upset when somebody hits a two-outer on the river against her, she actually tries to flip that script in her mind and and, and, and turn that around where she sees it as a good thing because she knows that money is going to eventually be flowing back to her pocket. If people are going to be playing that way, if they're going to play names, if they're going to say, I'm betting all because anything can happen. Didn't you see the derby? If people are saying that, <laughs> ultimately, it could help us out at the windows I'm not sure if that's actually true or not but I'm I'm, I'm trying to go with it because it's a it's a much more positive spin for the day in day out horse player like you and me give me your analysis of that concept
1: oh well, I think there's definitely some truth to that without question I think there's going to be you know we saw a reaction in 2010 to what happened in 2009 with my That bird we had a favorite of course the favorite in 2010 you know was out a week before the race but as it ended up I think the favorite was over six to one because nobody wanted to miss out on the long shot Right. Right. So it's going to be hard for um, for anybody to come in and and be a, you know, tremendously huge price. Um, It also I believe if you had used the graded earnings system, he would not have been able to get in. So, you know, I don't know if that's I don't really know if the Jeff Ruby stake should be a 100 point race. But at the same time, Churchill owns Turfway, so it's not going anywhere. Right. Right. so, no, yeah, I think there'll be a reaction. There'll be a, an overreaction in many ways. Um, it was a race run. You know, the other the other part of it is that we had just not been – this is more into the race analysis part that we're going to get into, but we had not dealt with a race with this kind of race flow in a long time. So... The pace,
0: yeah, we predicted that the pace – this might be the year the pace returned to the Derby, having an old-school sprinter like summer is tomorrow. We had reason to believe – you know, with uh Seymour having worked for Bafford, this wasn't the foreign horse that was gonna come here with theoretical speed and walk out of the gate. This was a horse yeah, that no, he was, was, he was going.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and 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 look, Mike Maloney and I talked about it on, on the podcast that he and I did talking about the super. He said, I'm playing for chaos, basically. I'm playing for a total pace collapse. And and uh, you know, it, it ended up playing out that way.
0: Yeah, that was that was a very good that was a very, very good call. My line about so I, I basically said zero about Rich Strike beforehand. So from our point of view, and I was given some some stick about this, and, and it's it's hilarious. I'm just going with it. You know, we did do the three hour monster pod without talking about him because at that point he was, to be fair,
1: marooned right. on
0: the AE's. And then when it looked that you kept hearing these stories about, you know, Morello's probably coming out, early voting's coming out. I'm I'm I figured. I figured we were safe going too deep on the A's. It like honestly never even occurred to me to do the horse. I think I might've taken a cursory glance at the PPs when he was 23rd and saw the form and said, well, even if he gets in, what does it matter? And then unfortunately, you know, by the time the news came down that he was in the field, that was Friday morning. And I mean, I, it didn't even occur to me. I mean, I just, I honestly, if somebody had called me and said, "Let's do five minutes on Rich Strike," I would have said, "Heck yeah, yeah, let's do it. We'll pop it up on. We'll fi- I'll find five minutes in the hotel. We'll we'll put it up." But like it, did, it didn't even occur to me to do it. And you know, I was feeling bad about that. I was feeling bad about all those hours of coverage. Yeah, we did the whole. You know, we did two hours on at uh, for Taylor Made the other night. The horse's name didn't come up. I was feeling bad till I realized that in six and a half hours of nbc coverage i'm pretty sure the first time the horse was mentioned was when larry colma said his name inside the 16th pole and then i felt a little bit better as analysts did we mess this up in any way did we miss anything here
1: no i mean there was nothing to analyze really i mean he was a a total afterthought in the race itself and most people, when they saw found out that Ethereal Road, I think I was on with Steve Bick on Friday morning, and they announced that Ethereal Road was scratched. And so it was like, oh, who's getting in? And then everybody looked at Rich Strike's PPs and was like, oh, okay. You know, and and, and, uh, and Kevin Kirstein said, you know, uh, Eric Reed was crying when, when he heard the news that the horse would get in. And 36 hours later, everybody was crying when they saw the results. So one way or the other, but... Uh, it was just how it ended up, right? It was. It was. Uh, no, he was a horse that that was very difficult to find anything to say about um, in in any kind of positive or productive fashion. But I'll bet one thing for next year, you're going to have somebody on deck for the AES for the Monster Pod,
0: <laughs> no doubt about it. Here is the one thing, and, and you know, I got this. The text with this started coming in immediately after the race, and it was you know shocking to me, honestly that because this is a tool that i use all the time as i assume you do too according to the time form us early and late numbers you know on that on that screen where they have they rate each horse from a perspective of early and and of late that he actually and, and i still i say this somehow threw up a higher late pace number by just like a point than even the established really good closers in the race. And I did see Craig Mulkowski talking about this on Twitter. And he said that, you know, the algorithm like threw up, I guess in his, when he put stuff together there, you know, you can, it, it can, when that stuff's all just computer generated and, and it will sometimes have like a series of checks and balances and it threw it up as a, as a possible error. But I mean, it is kind of interesting if it, if it wasn't the Kentucky Derby, if it was just a race on a Wednesday and I was as confident and feeling as clever that this was going to be a pace meltdown. I would pretty much throw in that horse by rote. If that time form metric had it as the best closer, even if I didn't see it, I sometimes will trust a computer in that, in that regard um, in a race where, you know, I'm playing it for a certain pace scenario. Now I didn't do this. I'm not saying I would do it if I had 10 more bites at the apple, but I did think it was interesting and worthy of discussion. How do you think, and and you have more experience like figure-making too than me. Is there, Was that just like a mistake that got lucky, which is kind of my inclination? Or, you know, is there even more signal in this time form U.S. early and late tool that I've given it credit for in the past?
1: No, I mean, in in modern day, we just don't have an abundance of total pace meltdowns. You know, they just don't happen that frequently. And they, they very rarely happen on a big stage. I guess the Derby is probably a more likely scenario for it than most, given the the action-packed nature of the the race itself and the size of the field. But that's why, you know, those would come into play if you were handicapping the race and you said to yourself, well, I'm playing this thing for a meltdown by hook or by crook. I think this thing is just going to completely come apart and let me try and get a gauge on who's finishing up best. And you still would have then probably used that as a supplemental element to your regular handicapping of the race and looked at his PPs and said, okay, man, maybe for, Maybe for 50 cents on there, but it's going to take a hell of a lot more than that. Um, you know, one thing I think as far as the, as the conversation goes with what effect it'll have in the future, you're going to have significantly more players using all in the multi-race bets too. So those are going to become, and the multi-race plays this year were paying so unbelievably well when you consider things. I mean, You had, you had a four to five favorite sandwiched by two seven to one shots in the pick four. And I mean, most of the pick fours were paying four figures. So you know, I think even the fifty cent varieties were up, getting close to a thousand on on a number of the horses, and I couldn't believe what the epicenter and Zandon pick fives were paying. That started off with obligatory, who was you know what seven to two, I think three to one. So yeah, they're paying unbelievably well because the field was so competitive, and so that's gonna it's gonna stay that way in the future, I would imagine as well. But yeah, I I mean, it it was I did see the time form U.S. listings there, and was like, well, there was one spot for it, and you know, there's no doubt he had been making up real ground and maybe was a horse who ultimately, I think pretty clearly was a horse who ultimately just needed a little extra ground.
0: I mean, the keen ice factor too, it it just amused me to know. I mean, keen ice a horse who had, you know, absolutely broken hearts. And I always joke that there's still a chalk outline of me in the paddock bar from where I literally fell to the, to the floor dead after he came and got American Pharaoh when we were up for you know, an obscene score back in the twenty fifteen uh Travers. And then and then to have him to have Keen Ice involved in this, uh it it it, it definitely <laughs> I have to say that added to the salt and the wound kind of <laughs> feeling to me, you know, years years later, generations later, Keen Ice still finding ways to stuff me in a locker.
1: <laughs> back from the back from the grave to do it. Um not that he's in the grave, but yeah, back you you never can escape it. And uh yeah, I thought uh, they crossed the wire, and I'm like, "What is this horse?" And I went and looked, and who's his sire? Look, you know. But um I can imagine it wasn't a particularly happy night in Joe Sharp's house, you
0: know. Oh yeah, you do yeah. have to feel bad for the horse. I do yeah. claimed off of him. For those yeah. that don't know that story, horses—I mean, horses who've run in claimers have certainly had success in the in the Derby before. But to have one that's actually claimed, yeah, that's that's. That's some, that's some very rough stuff. Other weird little footnotes looking through um, his, uh, his PPs, the race at fairgrounds, you know, we, you want to talk, look at this race from form terms where he was 14 lengths to epicenter. Do you remember who the favorite was in that race? the gun runner um i think it was at the gun runner stakes yeah it was the gun runner stakes Do you remember who the favorite was in that race
1: yeah it was the rocket rocket horse that rocket dog
0: rocket dog yeah. for our pals at 10 strike racing who was briefly yeah. bet bet to obscene amounts uh in the in the anti-post pool right wasn't he wasn't that horse like 15 to 1 at some point i don't know if that was our friends or what but i did think that was a funny footnote as well
1: he was much too short i can say that yeah. um yeah, he. I'm really looking forward to Frank Fletcher considering naming a horse Houston Rocket. <laughs> That's a
0: good one. You gotta, you should, you should send that. You know, we know people who know people. We gotta send that in there. You I get
1: suggested a... it.
0: Okay. Has he hasn't picked up on it yet? Not yet. <laughs> Let's talk about Epicenter since his name just came up. I mean, I'll just say it simply. How much the best was this horse to be making the move? Not only to make that move in the hot pace. I feel like I'd say, if he'd faded to fourth, I think I might be telling you how I thought Epicenter was best. And the fact that he somehow, even though Zandon looked like he was going to go right by, the fact that he turned that horse away, I thought this was, you know, obviously, and we'll talk more about, uh, about Sonny Leone and the, and the excellent ride on the winner. But I thought what Rosario was able to manage, I, I figured he was going to have to get caught up in that pace. From the inside draw. And I guess you could argue to some degree he did, but he really gave that horse a very good chance and still had enough left in the lane to turn away Zandon. I mean, I was always thinking Epicenter was a very good horse, but this was actually when we see a result like this, you, you, I'm tempted to impugn the crop as a whole, but I think that might be unfair to Epicenter. I, I think he could be way better than his paper at this point. Am I overrating him?
1: I don't think so. I think he's, I think he's really, really good. Um, I I think, you know, and I kind of felt that way coming in, but you know, there's a certain hall of fame white haired trainer who's not spoken of much these days. And and there was a lot of discussion 25 years ago, almost 25 years ago when he lost the triple crown with real quiet. And he said afterwards, I was not nearly as disappointed as I was when Cavineer lost the Derby in '96." And and I think I don't remember where the interview was taking place might have been on TVG and somebody said to him why And he said, because I never knew if I'd get one, you know, with Asmussen, it's got to be starting to get like that third second place finish. And, you know, if they say in car racing terms, we brought the best car, he brought the best horse into the paddock and and it's hard to lose those races hard Is it better to lose those races, I'm sure as a horseman, it's even harder when you know you've conditioned your horse properly. And and they end up getting, all things considered, a, a pretty solid trip, um, but just in a race where the dynamics are so squarely against them, and they run like that, it's got to be very very hard. And you know, I thought he was was very gracious in defeat. Asmussen was, was and said, you know, now we'll hatch a plan to try and win the, the three year old title, which um, he's still the favorite for, um, and so I think they'll do that. But yeah, this was. This was just a remarkably good effort and, and, and a very good ride from Joel Rosario. One of the things that all of us love about Joel is that his instincts pace-wise are very good. And, and he seems to have a, a great understanding of how things are going in front of him and how he can react to it. And I don't know about you, but when they straightened away, I thought, oh gosh, he's going to draw off and win this thing by two or three lengths.
0: I agree. No, I thought he was going to blow the race apart before I caught those closers coming. It, it was a very visually impressive move, and he just, you know, based on the known form and the, the place in the race that Rosario had gotten him, it looked like, um, it, it, it absolutely looked that way. I'm very curious, while we're on Epicenter, what you think is going to happen? I feel like there's a, a real non-zero chance he might come back in two weeks in the preakness i know they haven't committed they haven't ruled it out but it, it doesn't it doesn't seem crazy to me for him to come back he's going to be so sharp you know you win a race like that and it, it's shaping up to be an, an interesting field the kind of thing that i think between the herculean effort in the derby you come back and win another triple crown race the, the, that feels like the way to start your campaign to be three-year-old of the year what do you think the odds of that happening are what would you advise if you were brought in as a racing manager advisor for the team associated with Epicenter?
1: We'd be eating crab cakes <laughs> and we'd be headed straight to Baltimore. No doubt about it. Um, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in what you alluded to, which is that these horses are conditioned so well for one specific race. And I think that you, you sort of buy yourself enough training time beforehand to, to let them go another two weeks. Yeah. And um, I, would, I would absolutely positively be in the Preakness if I was involved with the connections. And I have a pretty strong feeling he's going to end up there. I think uh, Asmussen knows a little bit about winning the Preakness. He's done it twice. And, um, and, and he did it once with a horse that, of course, he just took over the training for and brought back in 15 days. And Curlin was a Kurland was probably a fair comparison to Epicenter from the standpoint of what he had done that year. I mean, Epicenter's actually got some bottom to him. I mean, he ran in every race on the Fairgrounds Trail, plus the Gun Runner, which was right before the first of January. So he has some foundation. You, you, if he, if they're trying to do what Asmussen said, which is win the Eclipse, you've got to win one of the next two classics. So you know, do you want to, you want to take on a bevy of new shooters in the Belmont? Um, this horse would be could be death at a mile and a half. I mean, he's just able to use his speed so effectively. You win the Preakness, you give yourself the opportunity to bring him back in the Belmont. Yeah. You know, my Masmussen campaign, Curlin through all three legs of the Triple Crown, still found a way to win the Breeders' Cup Classic. So I'm not comparing Epicenter to Curlin at this point, but um, I think he'll be in Baltimore.
0: The negative, if you want to make the negative about Epicenter, it's another one of the phrases that would be on the bingo card for this show um, about, uh, you, you know, I want to focus on the trips, but, you know, the, the trip in the in the slow race. I mean, it's not a fast derby. And, you know, you'll see that with pace meltdowns for sure. But that's my only, you know, our, our friend Pat tweeted, and, and it's an interesting question and worthy of discussion, best losing performance in the derby since when? and I, But I think that's where you get in trouble because for guys like us looking at it the, through the lens of the clock, in my own reckoning of the race, so the Timeform US um, algorithm, graded epicenter from a 118 final to a 120 performance figure based on where he attacked the pace I feel like that's a little unkind like in my ranking him in ability terms I want to give him more extra credit from that but even that even as much extra credit as I want to give him is going to put him around like I don't know a 103 buyer we've certainly seen better losing performances than that you don't have to go back too far i I would say to get to that point but but i mean it's it's an interesting question how much does from your looking at the final time do you agree with the figure i think it came back a 101 on the buyer scale i've seen other figure makers have it a little bit lower including time form us do you feel like that's the right number ish for the derby and does it temper the enthusiasm at all about epicenter for you
1: I mean, it's, it's race run at such an extreme pace. It's very hard to, to take a final time figure and, and let it fully capture what went on. You know, I, I think the, I, I've, I've been fiddling around with my replay. That's why you see me looking up at, at, the, at the TV. But there is a point in time, they're about halfway down the backstretch and where I have, I have paused my video where Summer is tomorrow's inside of Crown Pride. Messier right behind. On the outside of him is uh, Zozo's. Then there's two lengths to Taba on the outside of him is Cyberknife epicenters on the rail about four lengths off the lead charges on the outside. That is a group of eight horses, seven of them finished 11th or worse. (laughs) One didn't Right, (laughs) go back a length and a half and you have smile happy. He actually finished pretty well. He actually ran very well um, and and probably has a, a derby of some sort around the country with his name on it. Then inside of him, you have Zandon, who, of course, finished third. Outside of him, you have Pioneer of Medina, who finished, I think, 19th. You have White Barrio on the outside. The point being, this pace was brutal. It, it is. It, it was impossible for anybody to stay with it. So final time figure, yeah, it's tough to adjust for that. I, I thought that, and I mean, and Craig's stuff, I think, is precise. Um, I think it also depends on the intervals of the race when the horses are running. You know, are, were you really pushing it? Were you really making an aggressive move into the pace where the pace was still strong or were they starting to decelerate at that point in time? I felt like between Epicenter and Zandon, Epicenter moved maybe at some of the wrong times um, through no fault of his own or his riders, but it was just that he needed to move at that point. And that was when they were all moving. So in front of him and, and to get that position. So I don't, I think the no trips and slow races applies to anybody who was coming from off the pace that may have encountered some kind of traffic. At that point, I I don't care. If you, you know, I don't, there's going to be discussion about Mo Donegal before the Belmont and, oh, he was wide and he was this and that. I'm not making excuses for horses that got that set up. No, sir.
0: I'm also happy to report that Adelphi Racing Club are back in the fold. This is a unique racing partnership that provides the best of both worlds. Individual ownership where you're having a real stake plus the partnership experience, lots of interactive content on the Adelphi horses. They do a great job, and they've still got limited shares left in a couple of runners getting ready to debut, including this New York bred by Lauban, Jem Mint 10, and also the Tappert Colt, we've been talking about for a while, whose name is Magistrate. We've got uh, Magistrate gonna be heading to Christophe Clement, and Jem Mint 10 is gonna be heading to Ray Handel, who we've had on the airwaves a bunch of times. Join the club. Lots of ways to get in touch, racing.com. You can hit up Matt at Racing.com. Follow on social at Adelphi underscore racing. Twitter at Adelphi Club. Going to be hearing a lot more and uh, very happy. I'm not just somebody who reads ads for Adelphi Racing. I'm also a client. That's interesting. No, I I think you make some great points. And I would say of the two scenarios, I mean, the epicenter move, it's interesting. Depending on which type of chart you look at, it, it can look... On the time form US chart, it actually you, to me it just illustrates it so well. Where you see in the in the third call in that chart line, he's made the lead, and you see coded red, of course, throughout. He was moving into a very fast mm-hmm. part of that right. race, whereas those the, those closers coming later were getting a much more optimal, getting a much more optimal setup. And I agree, I don't blame Rosario for that at all. A couple other things about uh and I do want, I do feel like I know it's been covered elsewhere, but I do want to talk about the ride and the winner too. That would be a host fail to not get that one in there. But I did have a reaction. So you were smarter than me. You knew you knew it was the 21 coming up. My first glance, like watching live in the gray of a, the gray light of Churchill, I saw the two first, and for a second I thought it was Happy Jack in the lane. Just I thought white saddle towel too. I just you know just just for just for half a second, which I actually would have been, you know, no less surprised my everything else I've said about chaos and this and that would would have completely, uh, completely applied to, uh, to happy Jack. I, I, I was talking to Doug O'Neill. We did the bottle signing for the TRF over at uh, Louisville stoneware company. And, you know, he in his own assessment of the horse uh, described him as a, as a hundred to one shot. So, so there you go. But, um, I then had a, a as I was steaming, I was like, wait a second, the best closer wins with an inside trip, and you're telling me it's not Mo Donegal? Like, how did that happen? And then I was wondering, I was concocting a theory of, oh, was it it a young hungry jock willing to make a move inside where a more experienced rider, you know, wanted to, D- didn't want to deal with all that didn't want to deal with all the attendant difficulty of trying to weave the way inside but as i watched the replay i cannot fault irad really on Mo Donegal. it was i mean there was at the time when he could have theoretically followed rich strike it was just kind of a wall. I thought, and and you tell me what you think, Nick, but I thought there was just a wall in front of him. And he, I, I feel like he was all in with no outs and had to, and had to kind of swing and do what he did at this point. It just, it just didn't work out for him and ground lost People are going to upgrade that horse immensely. And I'm not saying he can't win a big race, but he, yeah, I mean to me Epicenter is so by far the horse you want to take out of it with the tactical speed as opposed to Modonigal who's always going to need I think he is always going to need that kind of setup help. What did you think of uh, what did you let's let's start with Modonigal since that's where I am. Just in terms of Irad, did he make any mistakes there?
1: No, you know the the point in time that I was referencing a moment ago where I paused my my replay um, that's when Sonny Leone decided with Rich Strike, okay, I'm going to shove in, and get into this. And, and at that point, um, Irad was a little outmoved, and he had to wait, and, and you know, he who hesitates waits. So he ended up making a wide move then as Barbara Road went by him. The, the problem that you run into is that when you're going to cover that much ground in a race like this at Churchill, I mean, they really have to come back to you. And I don't think the center and Zandon came back to them. You know, I think the closers that had gotten that great setup just went and one of them went and got them. Um, they were decelerating. Of course, it's a dirt race. So everybody's decelerating in the final quarter mile. And I think that losing that extra ground probably hurt. You know, the, the charge against Modonigal at this point is that, you know, Modonigal won a Remsen that was a rodeo down the stretch. And then he won the Wood Memorial with an absolutely perfect trip up the rail where he was all out to catch a third time starter. So, you know, he's he's just he sort of is what he is. Right. I mean, he's he's some excellent fit for the Belmont. Um, Maybe if he can get the kind of trip that he did in the Remsen, but not the kind of trip that he did in the Kentucky Derby. It's he he is you don't win the Derby from you don't win the Belmont from back where. He did. And I know there was egg on my face after Sir Winston won in 2019. You want to talk about a phenomenal Joel Rosario ride. There's another one, but um, that's a different, different topic. So the way
0: the track was playing did not hurt oh that horse God. one bit.
1: Get him to the <laughs> rail the whole way around there are dead last closers. Incredible. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is, it, it was a, uh, the performance by Mo Donegal, I mean, if you bet Mo Donegal and somebody told you ahead of time, they're going to go 45 and one, you would have gotten very, very excited. So, It kind of felt his his effort kind of feels like much ado about nothing in a way. So I would say that, you know, he probably looms a contender. I think Pletcher basically said straight to Belmont. Todd has a Todd doesn't run horses in the Preakness, So, um, yeah, he'll be, you know, he'll be single digits, I would imagine, depending on what happens over the next few weeks.
0: Yeah, he's going to need some help, I think. Um, going longer, he should be closer. I'm, I'm not giving up on him, but clearly Epicenter, the horse that, that, that is, um, you know, getting the, the antenna up and, and the sensors. You
1: firing. know, one, one other thing I'll say about Modonigal Pete, and, and I tweeted this after the Wood Memorial, and I made a comment about how great the ride was. And it was, it was in large part because of Joel Rosario's ride and how good he was at saving ground. The more important thing, this didn't apply so much on Saturday, but the biggest thing for me was that Mo Donegal relaxed and he was very handy and he was inside as opposed to being outside in every race he had run with Irad. And I don't know if Joel was a little bit more interested in getting him some schooling or you know, trying something that it, it was almost like, you know, you when you win a race like he did in the Wood Memorial, you kind of have to cheat a little, right? And, and I mean that in the in the purest sense but you've got to save ground. You've got to go inside. You've got to split. You've got to do those things. And it's, it's sort of a a parallel to the Derby itself. You can't win the Derby from 17th or 18th without saving ground at some point. You've got to get that split. You know, you've got to get that path. You think about some of the incredible off the pace Derby rides over the years and, and Giacomo, you know, Mike Smith rolled Yahtzee every time he made a move. Right, it opened up, and and he got through. And even Orb got Orb accelerated so fast while he was wide that he, I think, he got a split a little bit earlier in the race. Fusagi Pegasus came up the rail at one point before angling out. You you have to get bold, and Sonny Leon was bold.
0: Yeah, it was incredible. And I, I mean, it does make a point that a lot of us make about how the talent in jocks rooms is not limited to the, uh, the, the the top rooms in the country that we think of. I mean, nobody, nobody could have done better on him. And, and I mean, I think you just nailed it. It, it, it there is, there is something bold about, uh, about that, especially that initial move that he makes and fortune favors the bold. How impressed were you with this ride all in all? We should bring it back to the winner in our last couple minutes here.
1: Almost in awe of, of how good it was. You know the the instincts coming past the quarter pole to understand that um, okay, they're probably going to fan out in front of me because I'm looking at a lot of tired flanks. And so he held his position and and didn't allow his his horse to come off the inside even more and then potentially get stuck in traffic. You know one of the one of the interesting things about derbies, and I remember one of the one of the biggest influences that I've had in terms of helping me understand a lot about race flow, I was talking to about the Derby in 2010. And so the point was made to me about Icebox that when Icebox briefly got held up at the quarter pole and it looked like he studied an altered course, it actually was a good thing. Because when when a race is collapsing, you can't necessarily get to where you're going to as fast, but it collapses generally in stages. It's not like all of them stop and everybody from off the pace runs by and then starts battling. So you want to be able to produce the last run in a pace collapsed race. And that's exactly what Rich Strike did. He and so everybody, you know, and I love the general public and stuff that are talking about the comeback and the rally and all that stuff. And the drone shots. Great. And, and so what, what it illustrated was that when the last run needed to be produced, Rich Strike had saved the most ground, which meant that he had the most energy. He also was in a more forward position than the other closers. I mean, if you're looking at this shot inside the 16 pole, the closers at this point are he, Tawny Port, Simplification, Mo Donegal, and Barbara Road. Barbara Road and Mo Donegal went around Central Avenue on the turn, <laughs> and, um, and Simplification was just not coming with the same gusto. He was a little closer to the pace than they had been. So, what made the difference? The ride. The ride that Sonny Leone gave Rich Strike 110% made the difference. The saving ground. The um the splits when he got them and he did get into some traffic, you know. Mo Donegal's run was never stopped. It was never he was always able to produce it. He just didn't have the same finishing kick. Whereas Rich Strike did wait and they went in went inside, you know, before ending up kind of altering course a little bit mid stretch. You know, you see him sort of barreling into the horse that's tiring in front of him, and he he's definitely maneuvered to the outside of that one. And just finished it up. Yeah, I I will admit I knew very little about Sonny Leone before, but I'm a fan. (laughs) And and, and I think to your point, one other thing to your point is that I agree. The talent in Jock's room is often, there is hardly a disparity. The only difference is the really good and the really bad. The really bad riders make themselves known and the really good ones do too. But everybody else is generally, very, especially in a race like this, they're comparable in ability. You know, these are the best horses of that generation. It's the the, most of the best trainers and in almost all cases, the best riders.
0: I told you I was going to let you out of here now. Yeah, We're we're on a roll. Let's let's go, though, a little bit more, if you would, because we need to talk a little bit more about how we evaluate Zandon from here. And I, I wouldn't mind. We've talked about simplification in terms of the ride, but I also wouldn't mind to hear what you think about his prospects going forward.
1: He's a horse that I would run back in the Preakness as well, um, which is probably unlikely. But the only reason I say that is he gives no indication he's a Belmont horse. So you want to give this horse one, you want to give him one more shot to get to the head of the class in terms of the uh, the, uh, three-year-old eclipse. And I think the best opportunity to do that is to win one of the next two. So I think his pedigree caught up to him a little bit. Um, I don't blame... Anyone whose idea it was to put him in a forward spot, because it's very hard to play for a meltdown. You know, it's very hard to play for a collapse. And if you have a horse like that, who you believe is good, you, you sit back there in, in you know, 12th, 13th, 14th, and, and you say to yourself, well, you know what, they'll come back to me when they haven't come back to you in nine years. <laughs> then you know it's it's a hard thing to do. So I don't blame the connections one bit for wanting to be a little bit more forward. Um, Flavian Pratt seems like a guy that that likes to play things kind of fast and loose with the pace. He'll he might be forward when you expect him to come from way off of it, and he might be way off of it when you think he's got a horse with tactical speed. So um, I, I think his instincts with this horse were very good, and I thought he ran very well. You know, he did he hang a little bit? Yes, he hung a little bit. Epicenter also dug in a little bit. But, um, you know, you, you sort it sort of run raises the question if he didn't get by epicenter on Saturday with that happening before, is he ever getting by epicenter at this stage of the game? And I, I think there's a little bit of a worry about that. Yeah. But um, but, you know, it, it, having having used him and having having expected a good effort, no excuse. You know, he ran well. He looks like one of the better horses in the crop. And I'm pretty sure there's a grade one. That the challenge now for his connections becomes obviously Chad Brown is is going to be looking for Jack Christopher to get in the mix with big you know Grade One staples towards the end of the year and those two are probably going to have to knock heads at some point.
0: I think you make the key point about the distance and and I say that just because not because he ran poorly but you just nailed it. He is supposed to go by epicenter yeah. there. And the fact that he didn't shows me that extra eighth of a mile just is probably not his friend. Look for him on the cutback, but yeah, it's going to be tricky. With um, I mean, obviously it's different ownership groups, so it's it's not impossible to right. turn the Preakness, but it just doesn't feel very Chad Brownie for him to do that at all. So I would be pretty stunned, though. I guess he is under consideration for the race in theory, anyway.
1: Yeah, he, I, he is apparently, according to the Preakness, uh, the notes media team. But the only thing I think might be, I wonder how many of these guys that especially uh, cook up two race campaigns for their horses prior to the Derby are thinking to themselves, okay, let me have in the back of my mind that, you know, hopefully I'm going to be conditioning this horse for a return in two weeks to, to run in the next leg. So I think there could have been some consideration for that given by Chad. Which would obviously help his uh, his cause,
0: right? If it was the plan all along, I mean, Chad right. is somebody who makes plans for his horses a long way out. We'll see what happens. I, I would personally be pretty surprised. Simplification ran a really nice race. I mean, you could say he was with the flow, certainly with the crazy p- pace and moving late, but still, horse that outran his odds at thirty five to one and, and might have some valuable prizes by his name going forward. How, how good do you think he is?
1: I think he's solid. I, I thought he ran very well. Um, he seems like a horse who'll be back in the preps. He'll need a new rider, apparently, with uh, Jose Ortiz opting to ride early voting. And um, but he looks like a horse who's probably you know got some decent races on his name as well. Maybe not a grade one, but I thought he took his game on the road pretty well and and ran the best of the three Florida Derby horses. That would have been a good prop bet itself too. Is who was going to run best from that prep, and and it likely would have favorite would have probably been charge it who um you know he ran poorly and white abario ran poorly and so they're both off to you know look at races later in the year whereas simplification i thought ran very well and showed that he's a horse with some real talent is charge it interesting as a potential belmont horse
0: um i know this was not a good effort but just based on his pedigree the speed that he'd shown in the past he can you can conjure trip excuses for him it certainly wasn't what you would have wanted to, to see. It was, I suppose, predictable for a horse and just the, uh, what would it have been the fourth uh, career start that, 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 that would have been the case. I, I'm not, I'm not really calling him a trip horse out of that, but I could see a logic, the logic of drawing a line through it saying, this is a Pletcher horse. That's, Dropped some pace figures that, in a normal Belmont, especially in an epicenter less Belmont, if that's what happens, it might be too early to give up on him. Given Pletcher's crazy record of success in the race, and even having horses with seeming non-efforts from the Derby come back and run really well, there. What, what do you think about it, that idea?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think it's fair. Um, the only question at this point is: Is Charge really any good? <laughs> you know, it, it, that's that's kind of the worry. And we knew Palace Malice was at least a decent horse kind of felt like Tappert was okay. He had won a couple of races along the way. Um, Charge It right now is basically a second place finish with a dreamt up tough trip from people. And, and then a bad Derby. I, I might count as one of the... I used him. Yeah, I used him. I thought I bought the whole, oh, he's training grade and... You know, I thought oh, maybe he's moving forward. I just but, thought um, the,
0: the not break, the not breaking, and running well and looking green. I was just thinking, hey, what if he shows some of that speed right. that we'd seen before? So, but no, yeah, I, I, mean, I thought
1: the same thing. I I, I drank the Kool Aid. Those are the kind of horses <laughs> I usually throw out, but um, I used them. and and you know, I thought my I thought I was so clever getting alive in my Oaks Derby pick Oaks Derby doubles to the horses that are we going to be prices, and I didn't have to worry about betting any long shots like Tommy court. <laughs> and charge it and cyber knife and uh, crown pride. And uh, yeah.
0: You look back at the form of the races. I suppose we're not really surprised and, you know, putting aside what secret oath accomplished, I think that's kind of a different deal. Can't really say I'm surprised with the Arkansas Derby form, not standing up. Right. Are you surprised at how terrible the Santa Anita Derby form looks coming out of the Kentucky Derby?
1: I'm not shocked um, I didn't use Taba for a nickel so I, I I didn't want and the problem with Taba was that he was a horse who had such a good trip in the san Anita derby and you knew he wasn't going to get it here because it's tough to to simulate a derby trip in a, in a five or six horse field especially when you've got a runaway speed horse that's getting attended to by his stablemate um, that you then have to run down so messier you obviously can use and can find an excuse for see the mistake that Messier's connections to me are making is that they're thinking he ran poorly he didn't run poorly he ran poorly well and if you believe he ran poorly he ran poorly because of the way the race played out if he was my horse 100 to baltimore i mean he he would become very interesting as long as he's okay physically but he would become very interesting to me in a in, in a race that i mean the preakness could go 46 flat right and it's it's a decidedly slower pace than the derby So uh, yeah, that's one where I think there's a, there's a misinterpretation of how he ran um, based on that extreme pace scenario. So, um, but Taba was, yeah, Tabor ran very poorly and um, is probably a horse that was a more situational Santa Anita Derby winner than he is some type of really marquee horse. And I don't think that's unfair to say about him. Uh, He's just a third time starter. So, I mean, we're going to learn, significantly more about him as time goes by but um, at this point it was it's safe to say that coming into saturday table was massively overrated
0: yeah and i mean i get it i was part of that in terms of just saying hey if it was just a race on a wednesday the horse with uh, this kind of form and these kind of figures, you could make an argument is going to be, you know, quite a bit shorter than the, the than the five to one. I had even thrown out there the idea of a surprise, him being surprised in the in the conversation for for favorite, which of course is is uh, he was for for quite some quite some time. I look at Messier's PPS right now, and just you know, just forming opinions on the fly. This is the horse that looks like palace malice to me you know, I mean, setting the pace, yep. being in front in the pace in the hot race. Maybe I get it. Maybe. I mean, he's third off a layoff. Your Preakness idea is not crazy at all, but I mean, Belmont makes a lot of sense with this blood.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a very long winded pedigree. Um, This is a horse who, you know, you put Johnny on and you tell him you put this horse on the lead and start clicking off 24 and threes and good luck, you know, that that's going to make him Pretty, pretty tough. And you know, with Messier, I think the thing the thing that's important to remember in terms of analyzing his form is that his best effort is is an exaggerated performance as well, because he was loose on the lead on an inside favoring track. So, you know, if you're if you're trying to get everybody at their best, you have to understand what happened. I mean, the old Paul Matisse line, it's how races are run, not necessarily who won. And so, you know, understanding a little bit more about that. You get into a scenario where um, you, you probably take a more realistic approach to exactly who he is, as opposed to just saying, oh, God, well, I mean, he's a horse that can get 100 plus buyer. A lot of horses can get better buyer figures when they're loose on the lead, especially on a surface that that might be kind to inside types.
0: Yes, I agree that the, the race now three back, absolutely flattered by setup and, and track. But I'm not I'm, I'm also with you. I know the, 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 the final figure doesn't t- tell you anything about this horse's ability. Now, this ownership group, and I won't use the nickname because I'm so sorry if uh, Peter Parker or, or if Tony Stark or Peter Parker aren't involved. It ain't the Avengers, folks. But so interested in the stallion operation, Belmont, less sexy race from a stallion making point of view i wonder if that's gonna affect how they uh how they campaign this horse.
1: uh well it's possible yeah belmont is less sexy than the preakness i, I, I know little to, about breeding
0: i think to breeders there's there there's like a little bit in the back of the head that 12 furlongs to some people in that business winning at 12 furlongs is, is of less interest simply because it's in their mind, and I don't think this is fair, but I think there's just like a stereotype in the business that the, the longer distance uh, can indicate a slower horse, which, you know, shouldn't really apply to Messier, though, because you've already got a horse that was a grade one winner at two. So just putting a grade one up at three like that, that it probably it probably isn't an anti thing for Messier, but I do worry that it like sometimes sticks in the back of people's heads in, the, in that context.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and I think that's quite possible. I think that ownership group is probably also realizing that having three horses that get marquee stud deals in one crop was probably the exception rather than the rule, it, like they did in their first go around. And so um, it definitely led to a significant amount of, of copycatting from people of trying to put together groups. And, and, you know, I think finding good two-year-olds, especially in yearling sales that go on to blossom as three-year-olds is really hard. Yeah. And they happen to use a trainer who's done a, a remarkably good job of it over the years. So um, I could see it. You know, one thing I, I don't, I don't want to be too cheeky about this because I, I find it that the man is in an incredibly tough position, but since Taba won the Santa Anita Derby, the horses that went from Bob Baffert to Tim Yachtin, they've not run well. Right, McLaren Vale the other day in an allowance race ran very poorly. Doppelganger ran very poorly in the Pat day mile. Um, Messier, I, I, I don't want to say he ran, very poorly um he didn't really run the race that we expected and and he did finish 15th so somebody would say well how well could he have run but um it's it's something to it's something to think about because you know none of us could quantify what it meant that these horses were going to Yakteen or they they weren't with Baffert anymore etc etc but you know it's not insignificant at this point
0: no, when you and that's something Mike Maloney and I have talked about. I don't think it actually made it into the book, but he actually made the point back then when <laughs> the, 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 the trend that happens early when horses get switched to a new barn on mass like that they very often you'll find signal in what happens with the first of them now this picture got clouded because of how well taba and messier ran in the Santa Anita derby but now that that race is looking like questionable form i think it's a valid concern as for taba i you know i did have the back of this was a whole two thoughts in my mind horse two on one hand respecting the brilliance and what the speed figures were telling me on the other hand you know sometimes the owner picked the spot doesn't if it doesn't catch up with them on the day it catches up with them on the next day you know there's a reason why all the horsemen associated with the beast were questioning the idea of running in the santania derby now i don't know if that was had to do with a physical concern or a mental concern but i mean i can't say that it's any surprise at all to see him i mean i'm just gonna say it i mean he just bombed out and he just he just looked terrible like you can conjure an excuse for messier because of the extreme pace situation i mean taba just didn't look didn't look ready for his close-up right
1: Right. Yeah. He, he, I was actually just looking at his PP line. He finished 12th and was really never within three lengths. So it was a pretty, pretty poor performance. Might not be a popular opinion. He'd be a cutback for me if I was, uh, was his connections. I'd be looking at the Woody Stevens and you know, you you then can use that as a springboard to getting back into the graded stake mix down the line. Um, he'd be a horse that maybe I'd look at the Dwyer and route to going long again. But I, I think that the, Sanity derby win was probably more of the exception to the rule for him as well
0: we didn't really land on what we think is next for simplification did we i mean he is going to
1: the preakness as far as what i've read
0: he is gonna go okay you did say that that's right so yeah that'll be that'll be interesting to see how he does sharp back in that uh back in that spot any others that you want to touch on before we before we we wrap things up barbara rode a horse who you know i I question the the form of the Arkansas Derby, somebody could say, well, you know what? He didn't run too badly. And he didn't run too badly. But I think the coolest thing about him is he's just a real trier. And I feel like he might need some class relief, but this is another horse that I, that I look at. And I see some, some other derbies with far flung States uh, perhaps attached to, because he's just a really cool horse and a trier and the kind of horse that you'd love to own. And the kind of horse that, as a racing fan. If you don't respect, I can't really help you. You know what I mean? He just, he gives it his all.
1: Yeah, you kind of feel like maybe he's the type that if he stays decent enough and the crop sort of switches around in terms of who's at the top, you know, we think about all those years like 16, 17, 18, 18 Justify went by the wayside, but in 16 and 17, the best horses in the crop, I mean, they completely flipped from this time until the end of the year, mainly because Bob Baffert had something in the barn that he was about to unleash Right. So you know you wonder if maybe Barbaro is the type that can just stick around, and maybe there's something with his name on it for that reason alone. So um, you know he's always going to give up a lot with his style. So th- th- he will he will seduce some in in the Belmont, and they'll say, oh, you know, he's just going to run all day. And guess what? They all get the twelve furlongs,
0: <laughs>
1: some faster than others. So cool horse. I mean, I'll always root for Ray Lou and and. Um, I, I hope he gets an opportunity to win a big race, but um, he, he generally in dirt racing, he gives up a lot with that deep closing style. And, you know, the other thing is, I don't, I don't exactly, this is the second race in a row where he's gotten a pretty strong pace to run into and he's gotten a little wobbly late. So I don't know if maybe he wants to go a little bit shorter. So, you know, what you're alluding to some of those mile in an eighth races, thinking like Ohio Derby. West Virginia Derby, things like that. Indiana Derby, those are probably a little bit more his speed.
0: Yeah, and if they get paid, if there's pace in them, I could see him right. coming rolling down. Uh, Christoph Lemaire, widely regarded as one of the best jockeys um, in the world, <laughs> on his on his resume for uh, any future Hall of Fames he might get inducted into, I, I don't think they're going to include the, the the Crown Pride ride. I don't know why he was that close there. This was a horse for me, whose weapon. I'm not saying he was a slow horse, but for me, his weapon was stamina. What was he doing that close to the pace?
1: Good question. And, and I was actually going to ask you if you thought that maybe it had to do with him having been so aggressively trained that he was a little keyed up as well. So, you know, I wonder if, if maybe there was not so much that that Christophe Lemaire could have done. You know, there's a there's a moment out of the gate where. John Velasquez asks Messier, Mikel Barcelona moves his hands ever so slightly on Summer is Tomorrow. Le Maire never moves on Crown Pride. He sort of That's lets Crown Pride run up there. And, and, and I think he just ended up being a very headstrong, very willing colt at that point. And, you know, the risk that you run, the difference between most American riders and a lot of international riders is that most of our guys would have just put him in a hammerlock and tried to put him to sleep towards the back of the, you know, towards the middle of the pack. Whereas Lemare said, eh, let me set up outside and probably realize when they straightened away in the backstretch, you know, well, this isn't going to work.
0: Yeah, you, you might be right. I might be being unkind. And I could also see myself saying, well, you got to use their speed from that spot, Da especially with the way the derbies have been played. I was just surprised. I, I, I love that he broke well, but I would have thought that just galloping along. I mean, I think he actually given what my opinion of the horse going in is he actually ran really well to hang around with that much speed for that long another horse that you know just given the stamina i expect him to have from his training would be a little bit interesting if they decide to come back in the in the belmont what are you hearing anything are they sending him back home is he gonna hang around going
1: back to japan so i'm guessing i mean he could come back to the belmont right it didn't you know, when Lonnie ran in the Belmont, didn't he run in all three? I think he ran so he in all over three. Here. Yeah, yeah um, I would imagine there'll be a push on the part of, of the uh, of the Naira, uh, you know, racing office to get him back for the Belmont. So he would seem to make a lot of sense in there. And, you know, he took the worst of it pace wise as well. And, you know, hell, he and Messier were still slugging it out at the 316s, pole. So you know that was as Rich Strike was weaving his way through traffic like a you know a, a will a, an, a, an aggressive shopper at uh, five p.m. at the Price Club. So <laughs> <it> was...
0: <laughs> I was going to go with the gallop racer analogy. I
1: like. There you go. Yeah, we're
0: going to give you. We're going to give that one to you. For
1: yeah. <laughs> no. So it, it, no, I agree. It was uh, that was a little surprising as far as the way things kind of shook out. Um, I don't, there was something else I was going to say about one of the also rans, but I can't remember. Um, again, I thought Smile Happy's race was better than it, than it looked on paper. And, um, and I think there's probably a good, you know, a nice race for him out there too. He feels like a horse that ultimately probably wants to go a little bit shorter. Also, we've really talked about everybody that finished in the top 10. Oh, you know, the, I was going to say the one thing that I was right about pace wise and, and, and granted, I mean, Maloney and I both said, we thought it was going to be, it had a very high potential for a meltdown. Was um, they just ran classic Causeway for the hell of it. He didn't <laughs> that they wanted was, to
0: walk over, is that what you're suggesting?
1: That's it, That that's it. That was about getting a suite, and um, and you know what? I don't blame him, I probably would have done the same thing. And I think Lynch told Julian, You keep that horse in mid pack the entire way and you don't mess him up because I need to win the Woody Stevens with him. Because <laughs> I mean, I it, it, it's exactly how he was ridden, right? I mean, he was he was never asked out of the gate. This horse has this horse generally flies out of the starting gate. He's got a ton of early speed, and he just basically got cuddled around there so that he could he could you know live to fight another day. So those suites were nice.
0: Uh, I, I was I was hanging out down by those winter circle suites. And they look like, amazing.
1: So yeah. I don't I don't blame them, you know. And, and I it would take. There's a reason why. So Seth Klarman has skipped the pre, the Kentucky Derby with two horses in the last five years. One of, one of the reasons was because in, in one of them, he had another horse, but he is somebody who is the atypical owner, right? He is going to campaign his horses so that they can be at their best, according to his trainer, in, in certain races. And in their opinion, early voting's best opportunity was get, to get a win in the Triple Crown was in the Preakness, where he will face a you know, battered group of horses coming back on short rest or other new shooters that really don't look like much, to be perfectly honest. He's not most owners. Right. He's not, he will pass the derby with a horse that has the requisite amount of points. Most owners won't. And I, I get it. You know, I get it. I think Classic Causeway's two owners are very elderly. And so this was an opportunity for them to get in the derby. Good on them he's going to have filthy looking form heading into the Woody Stevens. I mean, you, you got, yeah. You know, I'm almost, oh, you know, yeah. You know,
0: we'll, we'll see how it shakes out, but based on what you're saying now, I'm already thinking of him as a cheeky include off of two 11th place finishes, but uh, you know, at least one of which has an excuse, the Derby um, cuddled along. What a great phrase to describe what was going on there. Um, yeah. That's that, that's potential. Interesting one. One other point about Klarman that I think factors into it, Um and you might know better than me, but I think there's Baltimore connections there too. Right. So, so, you know, the this might mean a little bit more to him than the average owner as well.
1: Yeah. He's from Baltimore. uh, And so then 2017, that came up that that he was, he went to, to Pimlico as a kid. And so, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot to be included about that as well. So, um, and just prudent. I mean, they're good about, you know, he's a guy that, that, doesn't spend a ton of money on his horses and and obviously has a lot of money, but um, you know tries to campaign them so that they can be most effective in the in the biggest spots.
0: We are going to have a ton more about the Preakness. I think we'll try to get an early look at the Preakness, maybe even midweek this week. If we can get JK back from the Bahamas, maybe I'll harass him for that one, Nick, because you've given us so much today. And I don't think there's too much meat left on the bone as far as this race goes, though. So, you know, you can't uh, congratulate the, the, the connections enough. It's one of those things where, yes, in the immediate aftermath, you know, I resented the horse because he made me look like a dummy, but uh, you know, that's, th- these things happen. That's just part of racing um, and very curious to see what happens from here. Hopefully he takes a lot of money in the Preakness. I don't, we didn't say this, at, this part out loud, but uh, we'll end on this note. A, a horse I know I'm very much looking to take on uh, wherever he appears next, presumably the Preakness. Is that, is that, is that you as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're going to, you know, this horse goes off five or six to one. He's a takeout killer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No doubt about it. I mean, hats off to the connections and, and the rider and, and Eric Reed who hadn't won a graded stake race. And in... I can't even tell you, <laughs> I, I was actually thinking about this. I'm i I'm, I'm a, I'm very ill mentally and um i was thinking about this last night and so eric reed trained a horse named satan's quick chick that won the raven run in 2020 in 2010 and i was right that was his last graded stake winner
0: wow that's unbelievable yeah
1: came up the rail to win the raven run at like 18 or 20 to 1 and and i was uh probably like one stage above broke because I was 25 years old or something. And, and, and so I, I had bet Satan's quick chick. And I told two years later, I told Leandro Goncalves when I met him at uh, Louisiana downs, when he won the super derby on bourbon courage, I said, man, you made me money when you came up the rail and you won that Raven run. And he's like, they never saw me. They never (laughs) saw me coming up the inside. And and so uh, it was great. It was a fun moment, but that was Eric Reed's last. That was Eric Reed's only other graded stake winner
0: unbelievable yeah speaking of sneaking up the uh, up the inside i can only
1: imagine the riders you i can right, only yeah.
0: imagine rosario's reaction
1: i mean collectively the other 13 are going to get together and they're going to say look this SOB might beat us again, but he sure as hell ain't going to save ground the whole way around. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a fun couple
0: of weeks. Looking forward to it. We'll have it all covered for you here on the network. Get more. Uh, we have our free newsletter in the slash email. And then of course we're keeping the plus thing rolling. Boy, we got some great comments and some, some happy customers. Uh, one guy though, one guy, Nick, very unhappy. He, he sent me uh, a, a personal email after the result of the Derby. And it said uh, he, he was unsubscribing and he said goodbye, jerks, only he didn't say jerks. Anyway, it amused me to know. Oh, way.
1: did he use an anatomical part that um, he did? In okay, fact. okay, good. Well, in
0: fact. So, yeah, one
1: well, one. you know, what, you know who I, I think who he was referring to. was my two guests, Marshall Graham and (laughs) Mike Maloney, who are probably like one in one A of nice guys in racing. Right. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's amazing. Well, you know, 499 satisfied customers. And then that, and then the one guy Um, too funny. All right. Thank you, my friend. Really appreciate your time today. Absolutely. And we will be back at it very soon. Uh, Thanks. We've talked about it a few times in the show, but thanks to 10 Strike Racing. Thanks to Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do, especially all of you plus people out there. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchen. I'm Peter Thomas fornital May you win all your photos.